Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for October 2014. I've had a pretty busy month speaking at conferences, and now I'm preparing for another 12 presentations that I have coming up before the end of the year. And I've noticed in my recent speaking just how much people are asking about employee engagement and leadership. And I'm usually booked to talk about change and technology in the future, and it is kind of fun to know about what's just around the corner. But if you want to do something about it, it usually means enlisting the help of your people. And that's why this episode is all about leadership. And of course, of course, leadership is such a broad topic, I know, but I want to look at something very, very specific, which is how you lead your people. And again, I know that sounds obvious, right? Leadership is about leading people. Well, yes, it should be. But when so many people talk about leadership, they talk about things like vision and strategy and the ability to navigate the uncertain future and message management and presence and charisma. And, and I say, yep, yes, all of that is important, but it's not the most important thing for being a leader. The most important thing for leadership is to have followers. Without followers, there is no leadership. So today, we're going to be talking about leading people, and in particular, the people in your teams and your organization. And this is also about management, not just leadership. And I reckon managers seem to get a bad rap nowadays. They're seen as boring and uninspiring, people who just do the routine work of allocating resources and get projects done to meet deadlines and fill in project plans. But really, nothing could be further from the truth, at least when it's good management. The best organization are full of talented, bright, motivated people, and they want leaders who inspire them and managers who empower them. And it's not enough for leaders to just set the vision and the strategy and hope that the rest of the organization gets on with it. The best leaders need to foster relationships, facilitate conversations, and help their teams and individuals to grow. And so today's feature interview is with leadership and management coach, Nikki Howe. She's the CEO of Southcare here in Perth, Western Australia. She's been a leader for more than 25 years. So listen in as I talk to Nikki about how to build better relationships with the people that you lead. In particular, I hope you notice the key differences between Nikki's leadership ideas and much else of what you see, hear and read about leadership. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm speaking today with Dr. Nikki Howe. Nikki's a CEO. She's a leadership and management coach and mentor as well. And I think she's got that rare combination of both practical and academic skill. So she's worked for over 25 years in senior management roles in organizations. And she's also got academic qualifications. At the moment, she's an adjunct professor in the School of Business at the University of Notre Dame in Perth, Western Australia. And as I said, she's Dr. Nikki Howe. So she has that academic qualification there as well. And I think she's also got another rare combination of her expertise because she understands both leadership and management and in particular the, the crossover between the two areas and that's exactly what she writes about in her book which is better relationships with those you lead and is exactly what I want to talk to Nikki today about so welcome Nikki Thank you very much, Gideon. It's so great to have a conversation with you. And now it's, it's been great. So, as I said, there's been a lot of talk about leadership and management and the difference between them. And so, let's not get caught in that debate because we could spend all our time talking about that. But let's just call it leadership. But uh, I'm interested to know what you think about what has changed about leadership in the time that you've been a leader, which, as I said, has been over the last 25 years. Yes, look, I think what's changed is I think there is um, differences because of gender. And and when I say that, I think that 
there's probably more women leaders now over the last 25 years maybe than you know 25 years ago. I think people are realising that the most important thing in an organisation is to have good working relationships with each other and that means creating uh, good workplaces you know where people want to go and work and I think because we're now more a knowledge-based society, you know, our work gets done through us being knowledge workers. I think that means that the way that we lead and manage people has to be different. And, and so I think that's, you know, they're some of the key things that come up for me about why um, I think things are different now than maybe they were 25 years ago. Hmm. Okay, so looking at that last one, Nikki, the, the idea that we're now much more at the knowledge age or the information age, um, what do you think's changed in that respect in terms of being a leader or a manager? How do you have to manage people differently? Well, I, I think the crucial point here is that um, that idea of, you know, we are working with other people, we're working with other human beings, we're not working with machines and, and people aren't machines and so I think the crucial thing is that if if we want to work with them for us to achieve whatever we, we want to achieve then we really need to be developing a relationship with them. We need to treat them as uh, legitimate human beings and we need to be very respectful. And I think, you know, we need to really build that relationship with them because, you know, they come with a, a level of knowledge and experience and skills and we want to get the best out of them. So the way we've got to do that is really uh, through building a, a good working relationship with them. So that's really interesting, Nikki, because you said, like you keep talking about the word relationships and I sense that it's really crucial to what you're saying. But when most people talk about leadership, they're not talking about relationships, but they do talk about collaboration and they talk about things like strategy and vision and inspiration and, and creating collaboration and partnerships and synergy through collaboration. But I'm really intrigued that when you talk about leadership, one of the things that you lead with is this whole idea of relationships. And uh, it just seems that's really crucial, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, it is for me because I think, um, you know, when we go to the notion of collaboration, what's a collaboration? A collaboration really is built on a relationship, isn't it? And um, if you don't have a relationship with that person, then it would be difficult to have a collaboration or you, um, you know, you were saying then about strategy. And I think, well, what's strategy? Strategy is a group of people having a conversation that then builds a relationship and through that they build the strategy of an organisation or they start to create the strategy of the organisation, the same with vision. So I think that, um, you know, if we just go to the real basic about, you know, when I come to work every day, I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm developing a relationship with them and it's through that relationship that, that, that the work gets done. And yet if I don't have a relationship with them, the work may get done or it may not get done. So that's why I think um, relationship is crucial to all those things that we've just talked about, whether it's collaboration, whether it's a partnership, you know, whether it's, say, um, creating strategy, creating vision, whatever. I think that all of those things central to that are people in relationship with each other. So it's interesting you say that, Nikki, because I think what you've said is very much from your perspective that relationships are part of all those things. But I'm sure there are a lot of leaders 
perhaps they're a little bit old-fashioned and the way that leadership used to work was when they when they talk about strategy they don't talk about conversation or when they talk about vision they're not talking about a conversation or a shared vision they're talking about creating this strategy from the top of the mountain then telling people what to do and assuming it gets done and maybe maybe that's the way it used to work because you did have these hierarchical organizations where the people at the top told the people further down the chain what to do and it got done. But that's just not the way that things work anymore. And I reckon there are a whole bunch of leaders who are still trying to build strategy and vision the old way without thinking of them as conversations and relationships. Yeah, well, I, you know, if we go to the point of the knowledge worker, I mean, we've employed the knowledge worker because of their knowledge. So if we're not engaging them in conversation, we're not engaging them in what they think needs to happen or what they see or how they can improve it, then really we're not maximising why we employed them in the first place, are we? That's how I see it. I see that, you know, everybody in the organisation is a leader. Um, it's just whether we've engaged them in that conversation for them to believe that they are leaders or whether we've actually given them permission for them to you know, be able to lead and take action. Yeah, great, great. That's a really interesting perspective, so thank you for that. So when I was reading your book and the, the time that we worked together, it seems to me that there are three things about leadership that you say differently from most other people, and the first one was that whole idea of relationships. But the other one, the other one that's really intrigued me from the very first time we spoke together, Nikki, was the idea that when you're talking about leadership, you've got to start talking about managing self before you start talking about leading others. And I know there are a lot of people who talk about this whole idea of self-leadership and looking after number one first, but I think that you're, you're talking about it in a slightly different way, aren't, aren't you? And there's a, it seems to be a crucial step to be able to manage yourself first. Yes, look, it is. I, I do think that, um, you know, you create an influence organisational culture by how you show up, how you show up as an individual and, and how you treat people and how you behave and whether you're respectful with the other person. And I think central to all of that is how you manage yourself. So, you know, how you use your language, how you um, use your particular mood or emotion or you manage your particular emotion. And also, I think, um, how you might embody uh, your own leadership, so how you physically present yourself. Um, I think those three elements are crucial to you being able to manage yourself first before anybody really will, um, you know, before really you can influence others. So if you, you know, there, there's, a, there's a saying about um, uh, Parker J. Palmer talks about how managers or leaders can bring, you know, light into an organisation or they can make it, you know, shadowy as hell. Mm -hmm. And I think they're important things to remember that, you know, when we step into work every day, particularly as the leader, you know, how you show up has a significant impact on the rest of the organisation. So if you're in a bad mood or you're angry or whatever, you know, that resonates through the organisation. Or if you walk in and you, you know, you constantly say, look, we can do it and, and you know, we can achieve this and you empower people and motivate people, then, you know, that creates a whole different culture within the organisation. So I do, I think it all starts with you, you know, with us as individuals and how we manage ourselves. 
Okay, great, great. And I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit deeper as we go further in this conversation. Um, as I said, there were three things that I think that you say differently about leadership. One is that idea of relationships. The second one is managing self. And the third one you've talked about already, Nikki, which is the idea of having conversations. But I know in the book that you call this the pivotal role of a leader is to be able to facilitate conversations. And as we said earlier, it's a little bit different. In fact, it's very different from that the stereotype of that old-fashioned leader like the captain of a ship who sets the direction and then gives commands. But it, it, again, I just think that the world's changed, hasn't it? That relationships mm-hmm. and conversations are just so much more important now. Well, look, they are. And I think that conversations happen in, happen in the context of a relationship. So, you know, all interactions and conversations um, happen within that relationship, whether it's at work or home. So, um, you know, what I what I think is that, you know, as human beings, we're very concernful beings. So we act, of, act out of, you know, what are the things that are important to us? And um, one of the things I think that we bring to a conversation is uh, an awareness of our own concerns and also trying to find out, well, what are the concerns of the other? So what what's important to that other person? You know, what... What's um, driving them or what might be their, you know, what, what's worrying them? So I think what then happens is a relationship starts to form because we are interested in the concern of each other, you know. So we're trying to find out, well, you know, what's worrying you or what do you need help with? And I think then what happens is we treat each other uh, legitimately, so we're, we're trying to work with each other in a, in a respectful way. And when I say conversation happens in the context of a relationship, what I mean by that is that you know we're trying to work out the concerns of each other. We're trying to work out what are the commitments that we might bring to that relationship or what we might have. But also because we're human. And it's those other elements around, well, how do we listen to each other? How are we speaking to each other? You know, what might be our mood or emotion? And again, how are we embodying things? No relationship is neutral. And so, um, and that means that the conversations sometimes are not neutral either. Yes, it seems like everything that you're saying is very much about understanding people as individuals. It's not only as humans, yes. but it's actually the way that you deal with me might be the way might be different from the way that you deal with one of my colleagues. So it's not just saying because we have the same job description or the same role that we're going to be treated as the team. It's actually a, it's actually a team of individuals. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think you 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 you've nailed it. That I think that. And because everybody is different, and we, you know, we interact with people differently, and and we've got to be mindful of that, and we've got to think about well, and um, how do I uh, work with that person, you know, and, and acknowledge that difference or their preferences so that I can build a relationship with them. Yeah. Okay. And again, it just seems so different from the 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 major leaders that you see that you see being put up there as the the role model for leadership. Uh, they don't seem like the sort of people who will deal with people individually. They seem like people who will set the big direction and the strategy, and they're inspirational, and therefore people follow them automatically. But that just isn't the isn't the case anymore, is it? 
No, no. I think you've got to, you know, find out what what are the concerns of the other, what's driving them, you know, what is it that what is it that they want from you or what is it that you need from them and how do you work together? Yeah, okay, great. And one of the things I really love about everything you do, Nikki, is it's just so practical. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, if you can share, let, let's just pick a practical workplace situation where know, some sort of leadership or management problem or scenario that perhaps we can work through. Yeah. Look, one of, one of, the, um, one of the scenarios that I uh, see a lot of is um, – when the manager, when a person's been put into a management role um, and they're not really managing. So I, I, I use this phrase, it's called in the system, on the system. And what I mean by that is often the manager's caught in the system, working in the system as the technician as opposed to actually working on the system. Yeah, just not really getting clear about what their role is. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good, because actually I, w- I was wondering whether you were uh, a fly on the wall when I took my first management role, Nikki, because that was exactly me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was a, I was a programmer, a software designer, and uh, what tended to happen in our organization, it was pretty small, we had 20 people in it, mm. was generally the most senior person um, got, man- got promoted up to become the project manager. And of course, the the roles and the responsibilities and the skills required for being able to design some software are quite different from the skills in managing a project and leading a project. So that was very much me. So I'm really pleased that we can probably go back 20 years and fix some of the problems that I, that I created for myself and for my team as a manager. Look, I think I probably did the same thing too with my first job. I think, you know, there is that, it is about making that transition Okay, so uh, so let's look at this, Nikki. So let's look at what that managing transition would do. But let's start with the whole idea of managing self. Um, I guess we've all got some idea of what, what we mean when you say manage yourself. But what does it really mean in this context? Look, I think the first thing is it's about um, doing some self-reflection, which, you know, can, can be a challenge for us as managers and leaders because, you know, we're all about action. But I think the important thing to do in managing self is to really do some self-reflection and ask, you know, what are the dynamics of the situation? You know, what's actually going on? And, um, you know, start to think about, well, what might be some of the options for solving the problem? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really... What you're trying to do is you're actually trying to look at your own behaviour, which which can be um, quite the opposite to what we would naturally do. So when someone's not performing, we naturally go, they're not doing this and they're not doing that, instead of going, okay, well, what am I doing in this you know in this situation that might be making it difficult or uncomfortable? So that's the first thing. I think the first thing is to say, well. What are you noticing about your own behaviour? What are some self-observations about what's going on for you? So almost trying to look at yourself um, from what I call alchemy, so that whole idea of trying to observe ourself from another position. So I think that's a really important thing to do. I think it's really important to try and write down well, what is our own language around this? So what statements might we be making about the situation? And and when I say that, what I mean is we might be saying something like, she always does that. But in actual fact, if we started to count how many times she did it, maybe she only does it twice. Mm -hmm. But we can get caught in a story that 
that's how she's always behaving because, you know, we're not happy. And it also might, I think the other important thing is about noticing our own emotion around it. So we might be highly anxious because the person's behaving that way. We might be resentful. So it's really trying to get a handle on, well, what is my own emotion around the situation? And then really starting to say, well, what sorts of options open to me in this scenario? What are the things that I could do you know, what, um, in terms of solving the problem? So if we think about that and we clump it all together, managing self means we're actually sitting with ourselves for some period of time and work through the problem before we go to the other. So we're really trying to analyse what are we doing here. Okay, so just to be clear, what what you're saying there is you're not saying um, look at it and then become completely resolved with it because I know there's some people who will say, well, look at any, any situation and you can choose to accept that situation regardless of what the circumstances are. So you're not necessarily saying, okay, just be comfortable with it and then you don't have to do anything else. You're just saying have a look at your reaction to it because that will give you some insight into then the next step that you take. Yes, exactly. Yes, so you're certainly not sitting it because you're not going to do anything about it. Quite the opposite. I think what this what this uh, process enables us to do is to do something about it in a constructive way that holds the other person as a legitimate human being. Mm. Instead of us getting angry with them or cranky with them, what it does is enables us to step back and say, okay. And how can I manage this situation and how can I do it in a way that is constructive, that starts to progress the problem, that holds the person and maintains the relationship. So I think they're important keys in uh, why we want to stop and have a look at ourselves first. Right, and I think it's kind of an interesting coincidence that the example that you picked, Nikki, is about this, what you've called in the system and not on the system because it sounds like you're doing exactly the same thing for yourself like you you're in, in this scenario and what you're suggesting is that you take a step back and so you look at it from the balcony view which is you're looking at looking at the scenario from above so you're outside it yes that's exactly right yeah that's a really nice analogy i think that's exactly what you're doing you're trying okay. to get above it Okay, so that's good. So and I know you've talked about the concept of self-coaching. So is there stuff that you can actually do to help yourself apart from just reflecting and observing to be able to position yourself better so when you do have the conversation? Yeah, look, I think what, you know, the, the important part of self-coaching is to say to yourself, okay, well, what's the ultimate goal on? You know, what am I really trying to do here? You know, and if we think about the scenario of the manager who's not managing and on the system, our goal really is to try and develop this person so that they become an effective manager. Mm-hmm. So in this scenario, my goal is, okay, how can I um, really develop this manager so that they get up to speed and they're actually an effective manager? That's my goal. And then I then I'd say, okay, well, what's the reality of the situation? What's really going on here? What are the parts where they're good? What are the parts that, where they're not good? And what are my options in terms of uh, working through, you know, with the person? What what are the sorts of options that are, might be available to me? So, um, you know, that might be things like, well, you know, um, when does she work in the system? When does she work on the system? Mm-hmm. When does she? Um, uh, how does that relate to her position description and what I might have 
you know, asked her to do or not asked her to do. So there's, you know, there's a whole lot of things that I think that we can review and go, well, what are the options here? I think the next step is to say, okay, well, what are the next steps going to be? You know, what's the actions that I'm at going to take? Because, you know, all leadership and all management is about taking action. You know, it's about moving forward. So I think by spending a bit of time with yourself, writing all this down, you start to develop a plan. Once you've got a plan, you can then put that into action and get on with it. Okay, so I assume at some point you're going to be having the conversation with the other person who's involved in this. But what about yeah. other people, Nikki? Do you, in that in that reflection and observation and that self-analysis stage, do you talk to other people? Like, do you talk to your peers and her peers and other people involved in that? Look, I might do, I might do and I might not because I think sometimes what can happen is we might go to the, might, you know, we might go to somebody else and say, oh, what do you think about so-and-so and we get into a story. You know, we might get into a story that then just confirms our own assessment, which is just an opinion, and again, it might not be facts. So I would, I think it's... Um, yeah, at this point, if this person is reporting to me and I've got concerns about them, um, I would probably uh, just look at my own evidence at this mm-hmm. point, you know? Yeah, that does make sense. So what you're saying is that the two most important people in this are you and the other person, and maybe later on you'll bring other people into the conversation, but you should respect them first. Yes, absolutely. I think that, that that's crucial, yeah. Okay, so I love that everything that you describe is so practical and it's so simple and so elegant, and yet there are very few leaders and managers and organisations who are doing it. So, so why isn't that? Why, why isn't it? Why is that the case? So shouldn't our organisations be full of these wonderful leaders who are having all these great conversations and building de- deep relationships? Well, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I sometimes think we, um, what I'm talking about is the elusive obvious. You know, like we all know that it's pretty obvious that if we don't have a good relationship with somebody, then they're probably not going to really work for us. You know, that's not only why we have a relationship with them, Mm -hmm. but, you know, when we have a good relationship with them, we all achieve so much more. And I don't don't know that um, people aren't doing it. I think that there is a shift. I think that people Mm. are are definitely starting to see that, you know, organisations that are, are high-performing, where people love to be there, they enjoy what they do, is because they are treated as human beings and they are, um, you know, they're regarded for what they bring as a human being. Fantastic. We've just, I think, only touched the surface of what we could talk about with relationships. And I'd really, I'd really commend your book, Better Relationships with Those You Lead, to any leader or manager who wants to make a real difference in the organization. Um, you do a lot of things. You're a CEO. You're involved in a number of community projects, leading those uh, quite innovative projects. You do some mentoring. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? And if they want to know a little bit more about what we've discussed today, what sort of things can you do for them and with them? Yes, thank you. So I do have a website. It's www.nikkiatnikkihow.com. And look, the sorts of things that I um, love to do with people is uh, I just I love to work with people who are really interested in uh, building their own capacity. So I love working with people who are um, reflective, who are prepared to say they don't know and who are prepared to learn. And, and really who are uh, open to going on a, an, on a journey 
of, of developing themselves. So I do. I do a lot of uh, coaching of people. Um, I do a lot of uh, work in, uh, working with people around, you know, all, uh, really identifying problems often so that they can get out of their own way. <laughs> <laughs> And I think sometimes we can get in our own way because we don't see ourselves. So, you know, it's about really, I I think um, managing yourself is is hugely important uh, for a whole load of things. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy helping people get out of their own way. Fantastic, fantastic. So thank you again, Nikki. I'll, I'll set the website again because people spell Nikki and how differently. So it's www.nickyhowe.com. So thanks so much, Nikki. I really sh- appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your insights. And I really think every leader should have your book and uh, hopefully they should get in touch with you as well. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Nikki. Pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Nikki. That's only about half of our interview, but I'm sure you already got some great nuggets of leadership gold that you can apply yourself. The full interview, if you want it, is available from our website at kihanperera.com in the resources section under audio programs. So that's the main part of this month's show. But before we end, let me share one of my own ideas about leading people. It's based on an idea from computer software. So if you think about Google and Apple, they're both famous for their tech products and services, and they constantly compete for their market share and for being the number one most valuable company in the world. I think at the moment it's Google, but that changes from time to time. But if you think about the way they develop products, their approaches are radically different. When Apple releases a product, it's beautiful. Apple obsesses over design, thinks very, very carefully about the user experience, and they try to release something that's perfect, at least in terms of the way it's designed. Of course, some people also accuse Apple of deliberately holding back features so it can sell upgrades later. But even if you take this into account, what they do release is beautifully designed. Now, if you compare that with Google, Google's kind of the opposite. It often releases half-finished products that they kind of do the job, but they're a bit rough around the edges. And, and actually, it makes no secret of this. It openly announces something that they call a beta release, which means it's not so bad to be completely unusable. That would be something like an alpha release, which would only be released internally within Google. But it is a bit rough around the edges, and they expect their users and their customers to do some testing, to give feedback, and then they'll improve the product. So an example is Gmail, which you may know is Google's email product. That was released in beta in 2004. In fact, at the time of its release, it was available by invitation only. Now, that wasn't a marketing stunt. It was just Google acknowledging that it only wanted tested by a small group before it was made available to everybody. So... Look at Apple and look at Google. Which approach do you use with your people? Now, I'm not here to argue about which one's better, Apple or Google, in terms of the way that they release software and hardware, but I do want to ask you about how you see your people. Do you think of them as complete, perfect packages, beautifully crafted and finished? Or do you see them as smart, talented and competent, but a bit rough around the edges? I know there's some people who look at this from a spiritual viewpoint and then you might go, oh, everyone's perfect in every way. But from a practical leadership viewpoint, I think it's better to take the other approach. In other words, treat them as imperfect and treat them as beta. In fact, I like to think of them as beta forever. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always looking out for their flaws. Quite the opposite. 
it means that you focus on their strengths, but you acknowledge that they do have flaws. And this is a much more respectful way to treat them. And it gives you the practical foundation to tap into those strengths. For example, you might put them in situations which are slightly beyond their skills, but you give them the support acknowledging that it might be outside their skills. You tolerate them making mistakes 20% of the time, knowing that the 80% that they do right is exceptional work. You look for opportunities to magnify and amplify and grow their strengths, both in formal ways like training and mentoring and informal ways by giving them extra responsibility. You don't waste time trying to prevent every possible mistake. And you make it easier for people to talk about their mistakes so you can work together to get them to do it better next time. So. Have you been holding your people, your team and your organization back by waiting until your people have all their problems sorted out, until they're fully trained, until they're totally competent, until they can do everything that their job description requires? If so, maybe you need to back off a bit. Treat them as beta releases and beta forever. So that's it for Expert Gold Radio this month. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something that you can take away and use in your personal and your professional life. If you'd like to engage with me in other ways, here are some other things that you can do. You can engage me as a speaker for your next conference and you can find out more at gihanspeaks.com. You can subscribe to my email newsletter, which is also called Expert Gold, at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, read and subscribe to my blog as well. And also sign up to my free webinar series. They'll help you with your personal and professional life, especially in how the Internet has changed the way that the world works. You can also go to my video channel at gihanperera.tv and watch my regular educational videos. Or you can join my membership site, the eGurus community, at eGurus.info. I'll be back next month with more great content. Have a great month and bye for now. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.